Hi, we're Katie, Jessica, and Shannon, and this is Boy Problems Podcast, a community focused on supporting families navigating substance use disorder. We hope sharing our stories, introducing you to experts, and answering all the questions you have no one else to ask will help you better navigate your story. Through our partners' recoveries, we found each other and formed our own squad, one we know is so valuable to how we manage this disease in our relationships. So we started bringing a microphone to our hangouts to extend our conversations to others just like us. When you're here, you're not alone. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Boy Problems Podcast. We have another one of our favorite people with us today, Jay Harpring. Yay! Hi, Jay. Thank you. Welcome. I'm glad to be back. So for all of you who aren't sure, and uh, after this episode, you're like, wow, I need to hear more from this guy. Go back and check out the codependency episode. It is one of our top episodes it has a jam packed full of information about um, codependency, which is basically touches everybody's lives on this podcast. Um, and a lot of everybody else we know too. So welcome, welcome, Jay. Thank you. Awesome. Okay. So today, another topic that we are, um, we've been kind of batting around for a bit is PTSD as it kind of relates to, um, loved ones who are traveling this road with their addicted loved ones. And so I know a few years ago, maybe my counselor had said something about PTSD. And personally to me, I was like that only is reserved for those who, um, have been in the military. And she was like, well, you know, she was just trying to explain it to me and and that there's just like kind of a a wide range of things. And so, you know, I was kind of talking to these ladies and talking to some other people and it was like, yeah, there is some elements of that, that, um, can for sure apply to my story. And I think a lot of other people's stories. So Shannon, you're always our definition gal. Do you want to, uh, read the definition of PTSD? Um, Well, I was actually wanting to jump in just to say that because this is such a topic that is tied into like the medical field and things, we thought it was important to have like an expert and somebody credentialed on. And so for those of you who maybe aren't familiar with Jay Harpering, I thought it would be helpful. Um, Jay, if you just like shared your, your credentials a little bit, and then maybe you could tell us what PTSD is like from your, your perspective since. Okay. All right. Well, um, I am a licensed clinical addictions counselor and, um, of course I had my, I had my master's in marriage and family therapy. So both those areas have kind of bridged the work that I have done the past 20, 21 years, um, with clients in different arenas. And, um, the issue of PTSD has definitely been one that I have seen, um, more evolve into kind of what you were alluding to. The issue of um, PTSD started with work with um, Vietnam vets, and that's where the terms came from, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And from there, I think a lot of people in the beginning thought that was the only um, population that really suffered from this disorder. But over time, we have seen that anyone can have this disorder who have had the experiences of, um, you know, that they uh, experienced or witnessed traumatic events 
which could include natural disasters, could include war, um, could include um, issues with uh, any kind of trauma from sexual um, abuse, any disorder from someone that perhaps is even going through substance abuse issues and their loved ones with that. So there's a plethora of different things that could be put into that category. And I think it's just helping people realize that their issue is their issue, but it can be one that has called or caused trauma to occur for that individual. And I think that understanding of that is something that, you know, a podcast like this can help. Um, you know, discussing as you prefaced before about talking to an individual therapist and realizing that that's something that you may have witnessed or experienced or in your lifetime and how those things can affect us in our day-to-day -day functioning, in our relationships, in our decisions, in our coping skills or lack of coping skills. So that, that's kind of my definition. Yeah. And I think why it's important to recognize, you know, traumatic events or when you experience traumas, then once you can put a name to something, it helps you figure out the next steps to like heal and move through it. Um, I remember like similar to Katie, I did not consider myself to have any sort of PTSD. I didn't think the experiences I had gone through would qualify for that. Um, and then in individual therapy, you know, I was relaying some of the experiences that I've gone through um, with Jay, like trying to take him to treatment for the first time. And he was literally like jumping out of the car as we're on the highway. And I'm just like screaming, like, don't get out of the car. And, or the fears of overdoses, like getting a call that, he's being transported to the hospital and just that, you know, the emotion and the, the fear and everything that's wrapped in there. And, you know, when we were talking about those things, she said, you know, look, Shannon, those are really traumatic events that you've gone through. And I was just like struck by that, that word. Cause I was like, Oh, I, I didn't really think of it that way. So. Right. Yeah. Same here for sure. Yeah. So Jay, can you tell us just in your experience since you've worked with probably thousands of people who have a substance use disorder, is there a tie between like traumatic events that maybe kick off an addiction or, um, or go hand in hand with an addiction? Um, can you jump into that a bit? Sure. Well, I think, you know, when a patient or when a, someone that comes in with substance abuse issues um, looking for help, um, a lot of times the focus has always been about the addiction, about the addiction disorder um, and looking at, you know, how do we help somebody um, get off the use of substances in a way with using uh, for coping skills, or just because they become fully addicted to something where, you know, their body is just dependent on that substance and they're going to continue to use despite negative consequences. 
but the act the actual you know sometimes there's an underlying issue that causes someone to end up moving towards substance use as a way of dealing with or not dealing with negative emotions so the issue of being able to look at uh, a history on someone more or less an assessment on someone who is coming in for treatment and looking at looking at or getting like a snapshot of what their life has entailed um, of course this this is something that is sometimes very difficult for people to be able to talk about and for some not to even mention something in an assessment uh, because they one are so disconnected from it because they've tried to stuff that in the back of a memory or they don't have a memory of that um, that's readily available because over the years they have attempted to try to not think about such events. So the issue of PTSD is one that sometimes takes a while for someone to be able to discuss, to recognize, to identify all those pieces that kind of create that picture of that traumatic event. Um, I think that, you know, it's kind of like for some, which came first, the chicken or the egg? A lot of times, you know, we may have an, a, a traumatic event that happened many, many years before someone actually went to using drugs or alcohol. Um, and from that, um, you know, they've, they've maybe tried to cope in different other ways, but alcohol and drugs became one of those main source um, places where they went to, to try to help themselves. And with that, I think um, the issue of trauma is something that, again, is very personable and allowing someone to come in as like a professional or even a support person or a friend to be able to allow them to know what they have experienced or that they have experienced something dramatic can, can be something that takes many years to get to. You know, we, there are many people, like, like when, you both, when you were talking about Shannon, the issue of not really being able to identify that what you went through was, was listed as something that was a traumatic event. A lot of people walk this earth, you know, thinking that this is just part of what living is all about. And, you know, kind of chuck it up to say, this is, this is what I guess it means to be someone or an individual in a, in a family or in a relationship or identified as um, someone in a community or a, a country, you know, in all those different circumstances, traumatic events can occur um, individually and also communally, you know, at communities that suffer PTSD. Um, I'm thinking of areas like this past um, uh, summer with the issue of the hurric uh, hurricane Irma, you know, and all the other right. hurricanes that have come, you know, those people, the, you know, actual communities that suffer with right. those issues. But then there's the actual individuals that that have their own stories. And so in reference to PTSD and substance abuse, that that can be a very big factor in why someone tends to go towards drugs and alcohol and 
And then also the flip side of that is that sometimes getting into recovery for the substance abuse, the person with a substance abuse issue and their loved ones, that's also a traumatic event. You know, we look at that sometimes as, oh, this is the hope. This is, you know, and there is, it, there, it, it's the hope of, of things changing in a healthier manner that everyone that's touched by that is helped in some form or fashion. And, but, but yet, you know, I tell clients, this is just scratching the surface, starting in early recovery work. And um, it may get worse before it gets better, you know? So with that issue, being able to look and be able to identify that someone has had PTSD is something that's very important in assessment work and being able to help the therapeutic approach and looking at what steps are needed to help this person be able to cope better, identify and respond to life issues in a healthier way afterwards. I love so that. Interesting. I love the point that you made about, you know, a lot of people look at you get into recovery and I think it's like, oh, that's, you think of it originally maybe as the finish line, like that's what you've been trying to get your loved one to. And you think once we get there, things are going to be so much better. Um, but like you referenced earlier, you know, there's been so many years of like pushing down all of the real issues that then recovery is the chance where you start like digging into it. And that can actually like bring up so much more. And so I don't know. I just think that's a good reminder that getting into recovery isn't just like a quick fix and everything's better. It's really just the beginning of the work. And I guess to be prepared that it could bring up a lot of issues and feelings and things that have to be dealt with. Right. So I think normalizing that for not only the person in recovery, but also the family members as well. Because the family members, as, as you all three of you ladies know, when we were in support group uh, arenas, that there were family members that would kind of question why it was still a hard time at this moment and that their loved one was you know, still engaging maybe in certain behaviors or that they were responding, they were engaging in negative behaviors, continuing to fall back into old ways of maybe codependence or enabling and so forth. So I think, you know, yeah, bridging that gap to help both is one of those issues that um, is a continuous piece of work through, through the, the, the uh, journey of treatment for everyone. So um, you brought up the uh, impact that PTSD can have on the family. Um, I know that after what you said about sometimes it takes a long time to uncover some of these traumas. And that's been true for my personal recovery with the um, relationship with Casey is that the further, the healthier I got, the more I realized like, oh, that was very dysfunctional and traumatic and like I'm experiencing like anxiety or other symptoms like around these old things so I guess my question since you have experience with so many family members um 
what are the ways that trauma shows up in our dynamic? So, you know, we're not, we're not using or abusing anything, um, most likely, but um, what's the way that, that trauma would, if we're trying to assess whether or not we're experiencing some of the consequences of these traumas, like what are we looking for? How do we know? Well, I think one of the things is that, um, you know, I think individually as a family member, being able to recognize your history coming into a relationship, you know, it, it sometimes, sometimes the traumas for a family member are not all connected to their loved one. A lot of that can be um, part of the issue of their own um, childhood experiences, their own history before meeting their loved one, um, that where, where they, they experienced trauma before. And um, I know one of the things that we wanted to discuss tonight also was um, the ACEs, the adverse childhood experiences or events that people um, experience in their childhood. Typically, we look at that from age 18 and younger. And so, the, and I know an assessment that where I work um, that we use is a series of questions. They're yes or no, but uh, questions. Um, and sometimes we're able to get a little bit of detail in that. But one, it's just being able to identify, is there an issue? So, you know, asking a patient to look back into when they were a child, uh, there's a series of questions like, um, were you, were you, did you think as a child that um, you never were loved, that you never, you know, you never had enough to eat, that you always had to wear dirty clothes, that you didn't have a place to live? And a person would answer yes or no. Um, and that one question, if they answer yes to that, that's a whole plethora of, of issues of basic needs, basic relationship issues, of love and nurturing as a child, where some people don't have those issues, or, you know, don't, don't have those things occur in their life. Um, a next would be, is there, uh, as a child, did you lose a parent, either through divorce, through separation, through death, or through abandonment? And again, you know, I, when I first started asking some of those questions, I had to, I had to ask my own self, because I am a child from um, uh, divorced parents. And so I know looking back when I started therapy work on my own that being a child uh, for, of divorce was a, was a traumatic event for me. It has never been explained to that in my family or looked upon, but I know as a healthcare professional that that has an impact on many people. So just those two questions that I've already asked can mean a lot of things for a lot of people. Then there's the issue of, did parents um, have a substance use issue? Did parents, um, or were parents physically and emotionally abusive to each other? Uh, did a parent spend time in prison or jail? Did, um, did the parent um, support the child uh, emotionally? Were they physically abusive? 
uh, were, did the child feel like they were, they were made special and that they were loved? And then the last question would be, um, as a child, did you experience any kind of sexual trauma, abuse, and so forth? So with all of that, there's a score then from those types of questions. And, it, and then one last question that we ask the, the person is, do you believe that saying yes to any of those questions has had effect, has had an effect on your health? And most people say yes. So right there, that may have been the very first time for someone to be asked, any of those types of questions. And for them, it maybe starts the head, the mind spinning a little bit about, wait a minute, this is bringing up this, or I never thought of this, or, you know, why are they asking me this? So those types of those types of questioning that child adverse experiences is something that has been um, started some years ago in, in regular assessment and child, especially with childhood work, but also with adult work. Um, and I think that uh, many times we've discounted what, what experiences we brought into a relationship and how that already has affected us. And then if we happen to be in a relationship that has had some tra traumatic issues as well, how that affects us as a family member. And um, being able to look at what, what do I need to do individually for me um, <clears throat> to help me get through with maybe doing some type of therapy work. Um, you know, there's what they call uh, EMDR work now that focuses on a lot of traumatic issues and is very popular with people because it helps them begin to deal with uh, traumatic events or issues quicker than they would in regular just sit down and talk therapy. So there are other ways of dealing with it and things to look at um, and how are how as an individually that's one of the signs with questioning um, that certain things can be shown as yes this is this was a traumatic event for me and I understand that this is this is why I may respond to certain life situations in the way I do. So that's one, one of those things. Um, and looking at being able to look at their own trauma work. You know, I think a lot of times, sometimes we want to, as a family member, we want to just focus on the other person and what maybe they have created for, for themselves and for us in, in the relationship but we also need to be looking at ourselves and what we bring because we also have an effect on them. Well, and I think that's so interesting. And I think um, I've had this conversation with Jessica and Shannon and a lot of other people is how did, how did we, the three of us are very similar. How did we get hooked up with these addicts? Like they're like, we are all codependent. We all had things in the background and not until like personally me, like I started to do this work. Um, I realized that I also was bringing things along and that I did play a part, um, in this addiction. And so I don't know, Jay, if you could shed any light on that. I don't know, Jessica, if that's kind of maybe what you had in mind too. Like, how did I find Kimmen? Like how, 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 how did I get hooked up with him? 
How did that happen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> I don't have all the answers for that. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that um, early in my career, when I was working with couples, um, you know, I always stated that there were, there were things about, there are things about couples that are both attractive and not attractive. So when we start seeking for a partner, I think there are things that we end up looking for. And I think that um, sometimes we're looking for them because we may have recognized them in our own parents, in our own fathers and mothers, qualities that we truly admired, that we loved, you know. Um, And so I think that we look for um, those uh, qualities that we're maybe we've experienced before, but maybe it's even qualities that we always longed for and never had. And that maybe this person that we're meeting and that we're getting to know and we involve uh, evolves into a relationship that we start seeing things that we, that we truly like, that we, you know, I, I never experienced this. It's nice to know that you know, if it, you know, if it was a gentleman that was just very polite, you know, um, opened the door for you, the car door, the front, you know, just those simple things that, you know, seem respectful and are respectful and how they treat you. You, you like those positive qualities. But I think there's also the element um, that sometimes our partners also carry the negative qualities that perhaps we really didn't want, but yet in our childhood, we experienced, and even though we didn't like them, we know of them. We have known how to relate to them, how to respond to them. Now, it may have not been the most healthy means of responses, but yet there was a comfort level in knowing that that's, well, you know, if my father was like that, well, I know what that's like, and um, I can handle that, you know, when in the background, there's a lot of more maybe confusion about that, denial about, about how traumatic those things can be or could be, um, and um, so I, I, it always, it takes two in a relationship, and, and, and I think that we we all bring those, both those negative and positive qualities, because you have to remember, they're looking at you as well. They're looking at what qualities do, what qualities does this female bring into my life? Um, or this male or whoever, you know, and um, the issue is that um, there are things that they find attractive about you, but there's also maybe some things that, you know, that our comfort to them, you know, maybe she remind you remind her, uh, remind him of his mother, you know, or whoever, you know, some kind of comfort level of that. So it, it takes two in that situation. And I've heard from many in the course of years with working with family members that, you know, they'll say, well, my father was an alcoholic. And then they said, and then here I end up marrying another alcoholic. 
And, you know, they question that and so forth. But that's when we start having those types of conversations regarding those qualities. I totally relate to that. I mean, I feel like I, I was drawn to Casey because the, what you were saying, like that comfort, like even though it was dysfunctional, it was like, oh, I know this. This feels like family. This feels like home because that's what I'm used to. And I didn't even realize it until much later. And um, yeah, it's just been like, since realizing it in that relationship, I then recognized it in um, my childhood, like growing up home. I, I didn't know anything. I, I wouldn't have named it like that my dad was an alcoholic or that had an impact on me until my relationship, my marriage with Casey. But then also another th point that came to mind, Katie, when you asked like, why did we end up in this relationship? But I also like am much healthier today than I was back then. And I feel like I um, settled for behaviors or things that I wouldn't today because I was just kind of, well, I came from that dysfunctional family. So the things that like I felt I deserved are probably, were probably less than what I would say today. And um, I was even engaged in like, in like a really long relationship that was like a nor quote unquote normal family. And I felt so out of place all the time. And I think that, I mean, I didn't really know why, but I just felt like, oh, this isn't the right fit because I just didn't, I never felt comfortable, but looking back, it's like, oh, probably you were just, you know, had a lot of healing to do. And that was just very different from what I knew. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think for me, it was a lot of like self-worth and like, well, this is, you know, this, I got, you know, this is what I, I can't do better than this, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I think it took a, a while, you know, to change that thinking, but that was a big piece of it for me at the beginning. Sure. Well, and you know, I think that at some regard, we all come to each other with some kind of wound, you know, some issue. And what's refreshing to hear uh, for the relationships of all three of you about, you know, the things of maybe how you were in the early start of the relationship and things that you maybe thought you settled for and so forth or didn't know at all. But the power of all of this is that we're able to heal, that we're able to become healthier. And, you know, I have a strong belief that when one person gets healthier, the other person has the opportunity to do the same. And you know, that's the power of relationships that strengthen and mature and become, you know, the relationship that you maybe never thought you could ever have or never fathomed. And, you know, again, through, through, um, through issues, through work, hard work, um, all of that, that you become individually the person you aspire to be, um, and your loved one as well. Man, that is so like on the nose, kind of like what we've all um, been kind of talking about of how just in our relationships, like we were going to the family group, we were, um, you know, educating ourselves in the disease of addiction. We were doing our own personal counseling. And so like we were healing. And so personally in my relationship, I felt that my husband saw what I was doing and realized like he can't 
pull the same stunts that he was. And so he also had to do his healing. So it was kind of like um, a tide that raises all boats or whatever that, that mm-hmm. phrase is. Um, and I mean, I, I mean, I'm kind of a jerk in some ways that like, I tell everybody I meet, like I have a counselor, you should have a counselor. Like you have a doctor for your heart. You have a doctor for your teeth. You need somebody for your brain. Hello. And right. cause I have just found so much, I've been in counseling since I'm like in second grade basically. And I just find it so valuable. So if anybody's listening, go get a counselor because they're amazing. <laughs> Um, all of this, like the talk about doing the work and healing, um, I was wondering if you could give us some examples. So like, I think with traumatic experiences, there are things then once the, the experience has passed, there are triggers that continue to pop up in your life. And like, they might seem like minor things. Like I mentioned the drive to the treatment center, Like I remember for a long period of time, like every time I would drive past a certain exit, I would just feel this like, um, like anxiousness and like a tightness in my chest Mm -hmm. or we've talked about in the past, like, um, when you can't reach them on the phone, like that's like a trigger for things. So I guess my question is how do like triggers come from like the traumatic experiences and like, how can you work through those as part of healing from that event? Sure. Well, you know, I think the triggers are very similar to triggers that someone with a substance use issue would would experience. You know, there there are what we call external triggers. The external triggers, people, places, and things. So if there are certain people that we connect with traumatic events, if there's certain places, you know, like that, like you said, that, that um, uh, exit off the interstate, that sort of thing. Um, and things, you know, being able to look at, at things that perhaps trigger an event, that event um, that was seen, that was experienced in that trauma. Um, then there's also the internal triggers of our emotions, certain emotions that we feel. You know, so if anxiety is a triggering emotion, sometimes whenever we have that feeling of anxiety, that may trigger the thoughts of, well, you know, of that traumatic event. Um, and thinking back to what was happening then or what you were feeling or how you were. So there's those things. Plus then there are the uh, sensory triggers that, you know, the sight, sound, taste, touch, feeling, all of that, um, that, you know, a certain smell that can trigger certain negative emotions, which then trigger the thoughts of a trauma issue. You know, I'm thinking of, um, you know, someone that was sexually abused and let's say there was, there was a cologne smell to that, to the perpetrator, you know, that, that, that smell, that, that, that feeling, all, all those things combined can, can bring up those traumatic events or those past experiences and not, and if we don't work through that, you know, one is recognizing it, recognizing those triggers, um, and identifying them 
and being able to talk about them. Because again, the traumatic event sometimes is, is just like a, a, um, the issue of craving for a substance. Um, if, we, if we are secretive, if we don't talk about these issues, they will continue to haunt us. And so like any negative effect, being able to find a safe place to talk, um, safe people, safe healthcare worker, who, you know, therapist, doctor, whoever that is, good friend or a family member, that you're able to, to express what has happened and start that process. Um, so, you know, it, it's very, it, to me, it's very similar in any kind of negative issue about having those triggers and, and how those triggers can be very powerful against us. But if we learn to diffuse those triggers to lessen their power, then we start, we start that healing process. Well, and I think something for me that I've, I've had to work through is, um, for, for, uh, there was like a two, three week span, um, at the end of, um, Kimmins heavy use, uh, where he was talking about suicide. He was, you know, saying all these things, um, his dad, uh, gift, his dad passed away when he was young and had an old, uh, 1953 car and it's in our garage. And he told me specifically, like, that's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to sit in that car, turn it on and keep the garage door closed. He would never pick up the phone on my way home. And it was, it was awful to even hit my garage door button. And it took me so long to get over just opening my garage door, because for that two week span, I never knew if when I opened that garage door, if that car would be on and I would find him in there. And so it took me quite some time to get over opening my garage door, which, you know, it sucks. Um, but that just, for me, that was kind of one of the, you know, big things. And again, I think, um, like the overdose. So like, um, Kimmins big overdose where it was the hospital, like that was, it was such a short and quick amount of time, but then there's all those triggers that are around it that I experienced, but he didn't. And so I don't know if, if that plays into any of it at all, like, cause I can remember vividly the whole days and, you know, parents passing away. Like I can remember all of those details of, of these big things that happened. And so it's, it's very hard. Like you never forget those. Right. Right. And I, I think that um, you're correct in all of those things have a special meaning to you and, you know, that thinking of all of that, that's, that it's, and I think the issue, I, I like what you said, you know, it was a short amount of time and traumatic events don't have to be long extended periods of time. It can be a very short amount of time that can occur and everything, like you said, around that, that can have an effect on somebody um, and not to, not to lessen the effect that it has on you to think that, oh, well, I shouldn't worry about that or that, you know, I'll, um, that's not a big thing. Lots of people go through this. No, this is your 
experience and not to minimize whatever you went through, which I think a lot of people end up doing because there, you know, there's always a worst PTS traumatic story out there that someone has experienced, but this is your story and it is just as important and just as as sacred to be able to work on than any, any, like everyone else's. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think Jessica and I've had the conversation of, um, she lost her, her parents were, got divorced, um, and how that kind of affected her. And like, my mom was killed when I was 18 and I, and it was just kind of like a, she had a loss, but that's like really significant to her. Like she could feel the same amount of pain that I felt by losing my mom. Exactly. But like, it's a different, like, it's a totally different situation, but we both still felt them so very deeply. Yes. Yes. There's still loss. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I mean, this was great. Anybody else? I think we kind of covered, it's kind of a heavy topic, but I think we've kind of covered it pretty well. So one thing though, that came up for me, um, especially when we're talking about like family dynamics, Jay, you were talking about in your own experience, um, you know, like your, your parents divorce, you've come to realize that that's a traumatic event. And you said something like, although no one else in my family would recognize it like that, or has ever described it that way, Mm -hmm. but you know, through your own work, you have, I, and it got me thinking like in these situations, there are a lot of different family members involved and like what how do you navigate like when one person is like recognizing a traumatic situation and you're trying to work through it and be healthy, but like the rest of the people around you are either denying it or have no interest in getting help. And like, I guess just figuring out that dynamic. Sure. Um, Well, I think that, you know, the, the different family members, they are at different places. And, um, you know, I think it's very healthy when family members together can heal and be able to be a part of that healing process, supporting each other, feeling like they have the ability to speak and talk and share when so many dysfunctional families, especially, that's not something that they were taught to be able to do. You know, they're they're to remain silent, they're to not feel, uh, all of that. But we're people, we're humans, and we do. So the issue of one getting help and, and other family members not, I think it, it comes to the point of being able to find support networks and other people in your life that do allow that conversation to occur. And, you know, for some family members, because of the way that other family members may not want to recognize or they're in denial of how things really are or or were, um, that we end up also being able to know what our boundaries and limits are with those uh, those other loved ones. That, you know, if, if it means that we we need to accept that they are not, they are where they are and we have no control over 
being able to make them think a certain way or feel a certain way or think to, that they can change or, you know, anything that we're the only person ourselves, we are the only ones that can control that. So I think one, being able to recognize that and, um, and connect to people that, you know, if, if it means to the point of that these other people are not really life-giving to you, that they're not, they're not, their unhealthiness is, is impacting your healthiness, that, you know, we need to look and say, you know, are these people that I want to stay in contact uh, with a lot? Or do I, you know, am I, am I the good son or daughter or whoever that limits that, ex that exposure to that? Um, and be able then to expose ourselves to the healthier people in our lives. Um, and again, that, that, that can take time to come to those um, points of, of deciding what, I, what you need to do for you. Um, but I think that the help with a therapist or a good support group or good friends, that you can start that process. And it may be small steps that you take, but allowing yourself to recognize what happens in those moments and um, know that there's a next day to maybe try something else or experience something else or spend time with someone that is loving and giving and um, accepting of where you are in the process of your healing. Yeah. Amen to that, man. I tell, I've told <laughs> many people they're energy suckers and I'm like, no, I, you're sucking my energy. Like, and I just need a break. Um, they sure. didn't necessarily understand or like it, but I don't, they were just literally taking my energy and I just couldn't. Sure. And, you know, and the hope is, is that when loved ones see the changes that they're their, their other family members are making, um, that that is a catalyst effect that they yeah. then start thinking about their own selves and that, mm -hmm. you know, um, Sarah seems really happy and she's doing this and doing that. And, you know, I'd like to have that for myself. And maybe mm -hmm. that's the catalyst of being able to, for her to start her own work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, cool, Jay. Thank well, you yeah. so much. Oh, thank you. I've enjoyed uh, spending some time with you, ladies. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Enjoy spending time with you. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, please check us out on social. We've always got a lot of really great things on there. And keep coming back. Thanks for spending time with us. We hope this story has helped you better navigate yours. Don't forget to subscribe so we can meet you here next time. If you enjoyed this episode, spread the love by rating or reviewing. Need more support? Join our online community by visiting us at boyproblemspod.com. Whatever you do, keep coming back. We're not licensed professionals. We're here to share our lived experience. So take what resonates and leave what doesn't.